Please turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, we're going to look at law and grace this evening. Just two verses to consider. The last two verses of Romans chapter 5. Reading from verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offence might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin have reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Have you ever thought about the reason for having laws? What are laws for? Who are they for? You hear people saying, I'm a good law-abiding citizen. Maybe you've said it yourself or, or at least thought it yourself about yourself. I'm a good law-abiding citizen. I don't know how many times I've heard people say that. And then they go on to explain to me that if there is a heaven, then there's a place for them in heaven. If those people are saying that their obedience to the law has made them good, precisely when do they imagine that they crossed over from being bad to being good through their obedience to the law? And since they are now good, do they still need that law? Similarly, if they are saying that they keep the law because they are good, then surely they don't need the law. Why? Because they're good. Why would you need law if you're good? Whenever people claim that they are good, it makes me cringe. And that's because I know enough scripture to know that they're talking nonsense and they're sadly mistaken. For example, in this epistle, the Apostle Paul has already said, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. He has already said, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We can stop with that. That's more than enough. Those three references alone are more than enough to tell us that there is no one good. And what was it we saw last Sunday morning The rich young ruler, he addressed Jesus as good master and Jesus said, why do you call me good? There is none good but God. We've already seen in this chapter that sin and death entered into the world by Adam and the consequence, with the consequence that all his posterity and that includes us, are born into this world as sinners. And so it is that in Psalm 51, verse 5, I read it not long ago, King David quite rightly acknowledged that he was conceived in sin. And so are we, conceived in sin. I can't imagine that David was speaking about himself 
and no one else. That being conceived in sin only applied to David. We are all born into this world with a sinful nature. We all break God's laws, laws that place a perfectly reasonable duty upon us to love God with our whole being. Nothing at all unreasonable about that, is there? Love God with your whole being and also to love your neighbour as yourself. None of us can honestly claim to have kept those laws and that is precisely why Jesus came into the world. He came down from heaven to keep those laws on behalf of all who trust in him and to pay the penalty for their sins by his death on the cross. The Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter, he was someone who most certainly did not consider himself to be good. For example, in chapter 7 and verse 18, Paul said, I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. And I know that to be the case with myself, that it, that in me, that is in the flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Coming now to our verses for consideration, in Romans chapter 5 and verse 20, it is written, Moreover, the law entered that the offence might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. The law that entered is not a reference to a direct verbal command such as was given to Adam in the Garden of Eden when God commanded Adam not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil and Adam broke that commandment of God. Neither is it a reference to the work of God's law that is written in all our hearts. That law that is written inside us and so much so that our conscience, it either accuses us or excuses us. Not that law. Rather it is a reference to the law that was written by the finger of God on tables of stone and given to Moses and that is now recorded in our Bibles. That same law that was given to Moses at the top of Mount Sinai and has been preserved over the years and is recorded in our Bibles. That's amazing, isn't it? And that's what we have in our Bibles. Verse 20 is not telling us that God's law makes us good. Rather, it's telling us that the law entered that the offence might abound. In other words, the law exposes, magnifies and shines a bright light over our sins. It's like thinking that you are the picture or a picture of perfection. Until such time, perfection comes along and exposes you for what you really are. Not a picture of perfection that you vainly imagined you were, but just a piece of scribble. How does God's law expose you for what you really are? 
nothing more than a child of wrath and a natural born sinner like David. Well, perhaps you know what it's like to do a good physical workout and then what happens the next day? You discover muscles that you never knew existed because they ache so much. That's what happened to Paul with regards God's law and his sin. In Romans chapter 7, verse 7, Paul said, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. Having seen that commandment, Paul discovered a sinful side to him that he never knew existed. It exposed it to him, his covetousness. Thou shalt not covet is the tenth commandment. And to covet means to have a sinful desire for something. Although covetousness abides deep within the heart, we can nevertheless see it, even in little children. The Christian publication, The Daily Bread, had a toddler's creed in one of its devotionals. That creed is a description of covetousness and goes something like this. If I want it, it's mine. If I give it to you and change my mind later, it's mine. If I can take it away from you, it's mine. If I had it a little while ago, it's mine. If it's mine, it will never belong to anyone else, no matter what. If we are building something together, all the pieces are mine. If it looks just like mine, it's mine. Coming back to Paul, he would have learnt the Ten Commandments as a child and then finally, one day, the Tenth Commandment about covetousness hit him like a sledgehammer and he realised that he was like a covetous toddler and that his desire for material things was far greater than any desire that he had for God. Think about it for yourself. Again, coming back to the commandments, love God with your whole being. Can you honestly say that that's you? Or is there something, not just something, probably more than one thing, many things, that actually take the a higher place in your affections. As such, the law did not tell Paul what a jolly good fellow he was. Rather, it exposed and magnified his sin. Hence, we read in Romans chapter 5 and verse 20, Moreover, the law entered that the, fe- the offence might abound. Not only does the law expose and bring to light our sin, it shows just how rebellious we are when we continue commit to commit those same sins that the law has exposed, even after we've been made aware of them. If you still imagine that you are good, let us again consider God's law. 
the sixth commandment says, Thou shalt not kill. Concerning that commandment, Jesus said, Ye have heard that it was said of them of old time, Thou shalt not kill. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. As such, an unrighteous judge, uh, an unrighteous anger towards someone is tantamount to murder. That seed of murder is within the heart when you're angry with someone without cause, even if you don't stick the knife in or pull the trigger. Is there anyone here who is not guilty of ever having been angry towards someone without a reasonable cause? Then there's the seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. Jesus said that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her have committed adultery with her already in his heart. I won't embarrass the men by asking them to raise their hand if they are guilty of that one. And if even now you still think that you are good, let me remind you what all of God's laws are about. What are they about in one word? Love. They're about love. A lawyer once came to Jesus and said to him, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. On those two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. I simply do not believe that there is anyone in the world who has fulfilled those laws of love except for Jesus. That is the teaching of the Bible. Only Jesus has fulfilled God's laws perfectly and he did so in his life and in his death. That is, or at least it ought to be, the boast of all that belong to him. Not that you are good, but that Jesus is good, and that he has fulfilled the law on your behalf, in life and in death. What a testimony that is. Not blowing your own trumpet, but blowing God's trumpet, if you like. May your boast be in God. Such people are trusting in Jesus alone as their saviour from sin, their Lord, their good shepherd and their great heavenly high priest. By the grace of God, Jesus is their everything. In him do they live and move and have their being. We'll move on in verse 20. It is written, But where sin abounded, Grace did much more abound. That sounds much nicer, doesn't it? 
Where, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. We've heard all about the law and the fact that we have all broken God's laws, that we all come into this world as, sin, uh, as, as sinners with a sinful nature, but we now read about the grace of God. Though our sins are great, the grace of God is infinitely greater. His undeserved favour towers over the greatest, or rather the worst of our sins. Our sins result in death and earn us a place in hell. But the grace of God freely forgives and grants everlasting life to all who are trusting in Jesus. As John Calvin said, when sin had held men plunged under its power, grace came to their relief. Verse 21. That as sin have reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Death has figured greatly in chapter 5. Let me just remind you, verse 12, look at verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned, after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. And verse 17. For if by one man's offence death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. And now here in verse 21, death is contrasted with the grace of God. If you're thinking that death refers to no longer being alive in this world, that's the usual understanding of death, isn't it? When you die of old age or you you get run over by a bus or whatever it is happens to you, when you, when you leave this world, you die. Well, there's more to it than that. It also refers to spiritual death even now in this world, for all who are not trusting in Jesus. For example, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 5, Paul, speaking to Christians, said, And you, who were dead in trespasses and sins, even when we were dead in sins, so Paul's in verse 1, Paul says, you, and then he says, we, in verse 5, He's including himself in verse 5, saying that he too was dead in trespasses and sins. Have quickened or made alive us together with Christ. God has made Paul and all who trust Jesus alive. They who were dead in their trespasses and sins. And then he says, by grace ye are saved. Therefore, the reality is that even if you vainly imagine that you are someone who is spiritual, you are unspiritual. In fact, you are spiritually dead. 
If you do not belong to Jesus, if you are not trusting in him, there are so many people in this world who imagine themselves to be spiritual when the reality is they are dead in trespasses and sin because they have not received Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. The one who laid down his life for sinners and he rose again. He rose forevermore and those who trust him have life in him. So death refers to being physically alive but nevertheless dead in your sins. It also refers to physical death. And beyond that, it refers to the whole punishment for sin, which includes eternal misery in hell. Unbelieving people sometimes get upset, they get offended, and they may well become angry when they are told that their sin will take them to hell, unless they repent and believe the gospel. Maybe you're one of those people, but why would you imagine that heaven is occupied by souls who never repented of their sins and never received the Lord of glory, the Lord Jesus Christ, as their saviour from sin. Why would you imagine for one moment that there would be a place for you in heaven when the one who is seated on a throne, highly exalted in heaven, you have rejected? Doesn't make sense, does it? Hell is a very fitting place for unrepentant and unbelieving sinners. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul spoke very clearly about eternal torment for all who know not God and obey not the gospel of Christ. When he said in verse 9, Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of of his power. Finally, having looked at sin and everlasting torment, Paul says, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. What a contrast that is. Sin reigning unto death contrasted with grace reigning unto eternal life. Although the grace of God is unmerited favour towards hell-deserving sinners, don't think of God as a softy dad who simply allows his disobedient child to go unpunished. And also, don't think of God as being like a president of the United States of America who grants a pardon to a convicted criminal, perhaps for political reasons. There's much more to the grace of God than that. The grace of God is clearly seen in the mediation of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, where the Lord laid on him the iniquity of all who believe. Therefore, sin is not something that God sweeps under the mat when he forgives Far from it. The justice of God can be clearly seen at the cross where Jesus laid down his life as the substitute sin bearer. 
Also, the grace of God is seen with once hopeless sinners being justified by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we see in verse 21, they have eternal life in him, in Jesus. To all of you who are trusting in Jesus, the King of glory, sin's reign has been vanquished. And for you, the grace of God reigns. May your born again and everlasting life be a testimony of God's grace towards you and to him be the glory now and forevermore. Amen.